Welcome to The Sausage Factory, sponsored by Rocky, the content feedback platform. So this is our regular look at the world of content marketing. So we're going to be celebrating the good and shining a light on what could be better with a single aim of encouraging the world to make better content, which we try and do in 30 minute sausages for you every single month. So some introductions. I'm Matt Laybourne. I'm the founder of Rocky. And I'm Mark Willis, copywriter, sidekick and resident sausage enthusiast. So in this episode, we're going to be looking at the handshake that takes place between sales and marketing and how content needs to align across the two. So we really need to speak to a guest with a perfect experience across both. Today in the factory, we're joined by Katerina Hock, or Kat for short. She's the VP of Global Marketing at Operatics. So Kat's journey is an interesting one. It starts all the way back in sunny Rio Grande do Sol in southern Brazil, where after graduating in PR, advertising and comms, she went on to work at a regional news group, primarily at a fashion magazine, and then in a, a kind of a variety of different commercial and marketing roles. So Kat then went to join a growing young business called Operatics in 2016 as a sales development rep for the DAC region. So with a half Brazilian, half German heritage, no doubt this was a huge help in that role for the business, which at the time was just a 30 person team. Fast forward a few years or several years, I should say, so 2023 and with the recent acquisition by Memory Blue, Kat is now the VP of global marketing of a business that has 750 people across nine offices globally that's delivering pipeline in 20 different languages, which is incredible. So we're super excited to have Kat join us and so we can get under the skin of the marketing and content that she's used to help grow what was once a tiny small sales office into a global sales and marketing force in B2B. So without further ado, welcome to the Sausage Factory, Kat. Welcome. How are you? I'm good. Thank you, Matt. I'm even better now after you kind of uh, hyped it up a little bit, you know. <laughs> I kind of sound like a, a very important person and I'm, I'm myself, <laughs> you know. <laughs> It's it's all about embracing content marketing celebrities, Kat. Oh, wow. So uh, okay, yeah, well, let's, let's get the high part. I need to make sure to buy some new pens to get you know get it all ready for <laughs> signatures. <laughs> so before we get to the interview or the grilling, we should have called it the grilling. Actually, that would have probably worked better. But um, that is a, uh, a really a creativity on the go. <laughs> But before we get to that, we've got what Matt Laybon calls asking successful people in marketing silly questions about sausages. I prefer to call it cleverly disguised guest profiling and psychometrics, um, or as millions of fans around the world know it, the sausage quiz. So Kat, if you're ready, we'll get on with the sausage quiz. I am ready. <laughs> that's, the, that's the favorite part of the podcast for me. I love it. So first off. What's your favourite type of sausage, if you have a favourite type of sausage? We've been burnt by that before. As Matt said, I'm from South Brazil. We are very big into our barbecues. And so, you know, the culture in Brazil is a bit like here on Sundays, you have your Sunday rolls. In Brazil, you have a barbecue every single Sunday. Amazing. Obviously, sausages are a part of this. And there is a sausage in Brazil called Salsichão, which stands for big sausage. That's my favorite type of sausage. It's, I don't know, like very different from the British sausages. 
And we actually have it in Brazil as part of the barbecue as a kind of a first course, shall we say, or like little nipples, you know? So because obviously we're big in our meats in Brazil. So like you'll have like a big steak or something as kind of the main. And then the sausage is just like the little snack to kind of open your appetite. Salsichão it's called. Good luck in trying to pronunciate that. Is that a garlicky, spicy type thing or just... Yeah, yeah. you you get all sorts of them. So... um, I don't like the ones that are too spicy. I like the ones that are like have a good strong flavor, but not too too hot spicy. I'm yeah, I'm not that sort of person. Do you have a favorite sausage based dish? Coming back to my uh, roots from Brazil, there is a dish in Brazil called carreteiro, which basically is a leftover of all of the meats that you don't consume during the barbecue. You just chop them up chuck them into a pan with uh, rice and some vegetables and that becomes kind of the the monday dish right because we always have the the barbecue on sunday so on monday you leave you, you eat the leftovers so that's kind of the favorite dish because the sausage we always make sure we make additional sausages because then we can put them into the cajetero and that just brings the the ideal mix of flavors into it another one that you don't need to try to pronounce <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't think I should try doing that, but that's 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 um, that's just making me hungry. I think this is the, the most appetising sausage quiz we've had so far. So obviously the most important question, do you have a preferred meat percentage for your sausages? I didn't even know there was such a thing. And since I started, <laughs> since you guys sent me the script for the podcast, I was like, should I Google this? Because I just don't know the answer to it. So... I mean, I haven't got a clue. Whatever tastes good is good to me. And I probably prefer the ones that are very, very greasy and have a lot of crap in it because they're the ones that taste the better. <laughs> but um, we will just go with it. I have no idea. What is there like a best best practice or balance or anything you guys want I think I think you've got the right idea. Go with what tastes good. Although I think when you start getting down to, we had somebody who'd had like a 4% meat sausage. That seemed pretty questionable. Yeah, that's probably the one I give to my dog. And, she loves it. <laughs> <laughs> and even the dogs like, come on now. Yeah. This is the best you can do. I feel like there's a benchmarking report to come out of this as well. Are we going to make it gated or ungated, Matt? You don't tempt me. <laughs> That is like a red flag to a bull bow. I'm like, how dare you? It's ungated, obviously. So now that the vitally important sausage discussion has been dealt with or grilled with, let's get into it. So Kat, tell us a little bit about your journey with content. So as I've said before, a degree in advertising PR, then a fashion magazine, then a role as an SDR to where you are now. What has been your relationship with content across that period of time and across your career so far? The importance of content, I mean, you can't even question it, right? In marketing, you're nothing without content, right? Everything is content. It's actually a bit of a funny story because when I moved to the UK from Brazil, I had to learn English from scratch, right? I didn't, I didn't speak English at the time. I spoke Portuguese and German. That's actually why I landed at a graphics because I needed a role where I could speak German or Portuguese because my English was crap. So obviously content and communication was always a bit of a challenge that I had to overcome massively. Whenever I was kind of writing content, because I think every marketer spends some time writing content, right? Even if you're not a content marketer, anybody in marketing should be good in, in, in writing content or at least planning content or thinking content. 
And it's something that I've always enjoyed doing in Brazil, in Portuguese, but not really in English. So, so at the beginning, it was funny because I had to think in Portuguese and then try to translate that into English. And then sometimes things just didn't make any sense. So it took me a while to actually kind of um, understand a little bit more the language and the styles and the humor and the, you know, the way that you can position things from a conscious perspective. But from a more kind of strategic perspective, I think that there's been just like a massive shift around content because I think content is just becoming more and more important as time goes because consumers and people are just more in the mode of kind of self-educating themselves, right? So like gone are the days where you would make a sales inquiry on a website and wait for a salesperson to give you that pitch for you to understand what they do. Now is everything is very like self-service. When you actually go and hit that button of make an inquiry, you already know more about the company than the sales guy probably, you know, because people just spend a lot of time in doing their research and speaking to their peers, going into communities, reading their blogs, listening to the podcast, watching the videos. So like, I think just, just content is such an important part of, of marketing because it's really helping customers to educate themselves on what they need and why they need you. And, and I think the importance of the content is that you can keep giving them confidence that your solution is that the one that they need or like the type of solution is what they need and you are the best solution within that category, you know? So I think content just plays that super important role in, in building that confidence throughout the customer journey. I mean, you've obviously seen massive growth at Operatics, Cat, and I think Matt referenced it earlier on. What have kind of been the most effective strategies around content that you've experienced or used as part of that growth? Yeah, it's a good question, Mark. And and I think we've gone through like different phases uh, within our team because we've always been a very small team. I, I mean, to begin with, I was the only marketing person for a good three or four years in the team. And we just had a massive difficulty of scaling content, right? We are in a very niche market. We only work with B2B tech vendors and our content just needed to be very spot on and specific to our industry. So it was very hard to find like content writers and people that could actually write about SDRs and sales development and pipeline generation and things like that. The best way for us to scale content was creating a podcast when podcasts were were a very new thing. You know, I, I think podcasts have become much more popular. When our podcast started, I think like five or six years ago now. And for us, having a podcast was the way for us to scale content. And why is that? We had one new episode per week uh, where our CEO was interviewing people in the industry. Then this 30-minute conversation was turned into a blog that was optimized for SEO, that would create content for our social media with a kind of 30 minutes conversation of picking the brain of our the CEO and from other people in the industry. We just managed to build up such a huge pool of content on our website like after some time and we had like a help of an agency to begin with and then after a time we brought it all in house once we seen that kind of that way of scaling was really good that was kind of the way that we found being quite effective and then now obviously our content strategy so to begin with we just wanted like a lot of volume and interesting stuff and then with time we, we kind of started refining it more to making some very seo focused content and then splitting content based on different topics, understanding kind of pain points and challenges, and then building specific content around that. 
So we just have like various different content streams going on. There is also obviously sales enablement content, such as case studies and one pages and things like that that are super important. I mean, if, if I look at my conversion rates and our MQLs and pipelines and revenues, I mean, I, we couldn't be where we are if it wasn't for content, right? Because as I mentioned before, people just use content so much to kind of make their decisions and just kind of evaluate companies based on that, that position of being like a thought leader and people seeing us as experts in our field just really helps bring mm. that confidence to people that we are a good option for them. Yeah, I, I think that was the thing that was fascinating. I've obviously been aware of you, of you guys for the last couple of years. And the more you kind of dig around the website, you're like, oh, okay, there's the awesome podcast. You've got like these like really good thought leadership reports and like the SDR handbook as well. I don't know how successful that has been. And there's, the, there's something that I've been looking at a lot recently is like, what is the role that content plays in supporting brand and that brand value? And like, while obviously all this content is doing an incredible job, your, your brand is going from next to, you know, a small sales office in fleet, realistically, to something that is now an incredible global team. How do you kind of like monitor like this kind of growth and like what the role content was playing to support brand at the same time? Like, is there kind of feedback loops or is there different kind of little bits of insight that you can share that, that help you understand that, yeah, do you know what? This, this path is working and I need to stick to it. I think one of the ways I kind of navigated that is because obviously us being a sales organization, obviously our leadership team is very much sales focused, right? And, and very like ROI driven and everything we do, we need to kind of justify why we're spending this money and why we're doing this. And obviously that was more at the beginning. After there was more kind of a trust build, they kind of know that what we're doing is working. So like, let's just carry on doing it. But to begin with, there was a lot of kind of proving it and making sure that we were doing the right thing. So for me, it's always kind of trying to balance the brand building with the actual results. So like for us, it was always super important to kind of balance the thought leadership pieces and also make them SEO relevant, you know, because and so not only for SEO, but also like how can we deliver value to customers and then use that as a trigger to kind of get in touch with them or nurture them or and you mentioned the SDR handbook. For those that don't know, SDR handbook is essentially like a Bible of sales development where we literally explain every single step of how you should build and manage your SDR team. And when we launched that, especially our operations team, we were like, Kat, you're giving away all of our secrets. Like, why would you tell the market how we do it? <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, some people, they were a bit like skeptical about it. The very simple answer is like, when people realize how hard it is to build SDR teams, they will come to us for, you know, to understand like how, how you do it, where can it go wrong? Why does it go wrong? How can we fix it? In no way we want to use that as a, as a, as a way to say, okay, you can't get it right. Come and speak to us to outsource it so that people can benchmark what they are doing and understand where they could be going wrong. And if they feel like using an outsource provider can help them or is the right fit for them, then fine, we're here, right? Or go and speak to our competitors, but it's kind of a, a way to try to elevate the profession and the category uh, in a way because like SDRs sometimes are seen as like oh just like entry level people that don't really want anything from life and you know code calling is often being labeled as I don't know something that is it's actually really like it's not difficult but it's hard you know like it's hard to get it right because you need to be very 
persistent and kind of not give up and be tailored in your message and things like that. But 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 cold calling itself has a bit of bad reputation to it, right? And obviously sales development is much more than just cold calling, but it's got a massive element of cold calling, right? So I think for us, that piece of content specifically, like blew up, like we were blown away by it. And it's still like, I think we launched it almost a year ago now. And it's still mm. like, we have thousands of access every single month of people downloading it. And sometimes I jump on quotes. Oh yeah, you're the guys that wrote the SDR handbook. And I was like, yeah, we are. How cool, you know? <laughs> we even didn't expect it to be so successful, but it's just it just comes back to delivering value to people. That's what they care about. How can you make how can your content make people's lives easier? Help them in their job. Help them to get promoted. You know, that that's really what it comes down to. I know we kind of just slightly related kind of sales enablement content and it's something that certainly in my experience has doesn't always get as much airtime as as other types of content and obviously it's massively important to to you and your teams Kat how do you go about building a strategy that enables sales teams and and, and what should that look like the best way to build sales enablement content is asking your sales team what they need. So li- listen yeah. to your sales team. The best, the best performing pieces of content from a sale, sales enablement perspective for us were the ones that our sales reps had. Kat, I was on a call with the client and asked me about this. Right, here is a, we're going to write a piece of content about that. So one that is really successful for us, lots of customers ask, is it better to build an in-house team or is it better to outsource? So we build a blog breaking down exactly the advantages of doing one or the other, when the one, one is better than the other, how much does it cost to do one or the other? So, and it all came from one of the sales reps saying, Kat, we get that question a lot and we go and build a content for that. So I think that is number one. And then number two, in terms of sales enablement, and I don't even know if this classifies as sales enablement, social proof is so important. And for us, like building out our profiles on G2, Clutch, and, you know, case studies and uh, testimonials and things like that um, is huge because not only it's huge to support middle and bottom of funnel, you know, for really that validation piece when clients are kind of making up their mind if we are the best solution compared to others, but also for top of funnel. And that, that's the one thing that we didn't expect to, to see that much. Because ultimately, when you when you have those profiles built out well, it does become like a lead generation source because companies use that as, as a directory, you know, and then like kind of tying up your strategy of those directories with your SEO strategy and, you know, using the backlinks and things like that. And probably we should kind of cut that out so our competitors don't hear us, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but no, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> We'll, we'll we'll go back and edit it. Kat. No one heard it. It's fine. Maybe you just um, you just uh, block this out for when you see the competitor listing. No, I'm joking. Competitors, we love you because you all bring them back there. So uh, let's not let's not uh, let's not. I love that though. Like I'm I'm a huge fan of social proof. Like it's it's like the wisdom of the crowd, isn't it? It's you know the 99 people out of 100 love this thing. Like why would you? take the risk on the the one percent of something you're not sure about that hasn't got the credibility but like kind of the jokes aside social proof takes a long time to build up you need a lot of happy customers saying a lot of the same things on a really consistent basis and that's that's the real measure of quality which which you guys obviously do 
like on the like the sales enablement side of things like marketing has the benefit of any number they want under the sun like we can go and look at you know backlinks like seo ranking we can go look at volumes of traffic on a website and go okay like i can get a good idea of how content is performing and obviously being rocky like we're, we're really very keen to understand what effective content looks like but for sales it's, it kind of gets into the nitty-gritty where like we're trying to close deals we're trying to win revenue and it's one-on-one -on -one conversations like i mean obviously you've kind of said it ask the sales team but what, what do you look for specifically when you're going okay how is this content really landing how can i you know optimize it what what's the next type of work we need to put into planning have you got any tips that you can share for us on that yeah, it, it, I think it, it kind of comes back again to listen to the market, right? Joining sales calls, listening to your customers, speaking to people and understanding what's going on, monitoring communities to understand what people are talking about. One of our best performing blog um, is around SDR metrics. And that was, it literally started ranking in two days or it goes, went live. And it's, it's still our best performing blog in terms of attracting um, people to our website because everybody wants to benchmark and everybody wants to know how others are doing and what they should expect from their teams. I think it's always about listening to the market. And then, and then once you see your content is performing, what else can you do to keep giving information to people about that specific topic? You know, because you can always branch it out and think about other questions that could come up to that audience that you can kind of flesh out a bit more. And obviously the way we track it is looking at how many conversions you get from it, how long people spend on the page. You can use a software like Rocky to get feedback <laughs> from people around there. By the way, you guys, these guys didn't pay me to say that, right? I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, obviously it's quite a, it's quite a cool tool for, for companies to actually realize uh, how well the content is doing, how well it's landing with people. And also j just kind of to put it out there, you're not always going to get it right, right? Like there is a lot of crap content we put out there that, and I wouldn't say it's crap content, but it just didn't relate to people. And that's fine. And you need to do a lot of it until you realize what is relating. And then and then you rinse and repeat. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, that definitely ties in with something that we've talked a, a lot about. Uh, Rocky's kind of getting past mm. the stigma of, okay, you did something that didn't necessarily work, but you learned from it. And that'll make your next piece of content better as a result. Sounds like they're very exciting times at Operatics at the moment. Can you tell us what's next for Operatics and, and where you're going and all about the exciting stuff that's happening there? Matt briefly touched on it in the introduction. So Operatics has been acquired by Memory Blue. It's a, it's a company that is based in the US. They have six offices out there. Been going on for 20 years. It's always been a, a hard competitor for us to work against. We're really happy that this acquisition happened and um, we're looking forward to merging with them. Um, it's a company that we've always respected a lot and they have a super, super strong presence in America. And obviously them acquiring us means going worldwide. I mean, we've always had an international presence. So EMEA, APAC and North America as well, but they are much more granular in North America. So this is great for our clients. And then obviously for their clients, it's amazing that they now have that kind of tapping into the international markets. Big transformations coming. Obviously, content is going to play an amazing and important part in it. There is a lot of us kind of understanding now and evaluating how we're going to integrate the brands. Yeah, big, big projects ahead around that. Super exciting to be working on it. That sounds like very exciting times there. So from the exciting times at Operatics to a slightly less exciting 
commercial break and a message from our sponsor, which as usual is Matt's chance to indulge his theatrical side. But after that, we'll be back with Matt's bangers. Hello, Rocky Feedback Hotline. How could I help you? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Okay, let's get into this. So, you had to give away all your contact information, and all you got was a, a, a PDF, I see. Okay, that is unfortunate. What was in the PDF? So, you were promised a state of the market report. Okay, and all you got was a glorified product advertisement instead. Oh no, that is disappointing. So, very little in the way of, okay, no primary research, not much data to talk of, and just just lots of information about a product you've never heard before. Okay, I hear you, dear. Okay, and the Rocky rating you give it? Two out of five. Perfect, got it. I'll let them know for you. Okay, we don't have a content feedback hotline. Not yet. Instead, why not find out if your content resonates with your audience right now by adding Rocky to your website? It's free to get started, there's no setup fee and no contracts. Visit rocky.io to find out more. So now it's time for Matt's Bangers. That's the famous part of the show. I say famous, I've just made up famous, but it's the part of the show where we showcase a piece of content that we absolutely love. And it's a chance for our guests to say exactly what they love the most out of this particular piece of content. So Kat, what have you got for us? Uh, right. So I guess we kind of touched on it briefly already, but definitely our best piece of content is the SDR handbook. I think the reason why people really like it and it's been such a great piece of content for us is because I think we just break it down very easily for companies to understand what does it take to build and manage an SDR team? Where can it go wrong? Why does it work while it doesn't and it just kind of shows the complexity of it i think people just can relate a lot to it and just kind of pick out the bits that they want to learn more about it's very actionable uh, it's very easy to digest and read obviously it's an ungated piece of content i know there is always always the debate of gating or ungating i think everybody is now kind of in agreement that you should not gate your content for us, that was just, yeah, it's, and it always comes down to delivering value and, and doing content for the people that want to read it and understanding their challenges and addressing them. That's definitely our number one piece. And we now are thinking of how to top that one up. <laughs> well, that, that definitely sounds worthy of banger status. But as we know, for every banger, there has to be a sausage of death, which is a piece of content that it started off as that's internally dull or ineffective. So it's kind of like the room 101 for content. So Kat, is there a piece of content that you would like to award sausage of death status? I mean, when I started in the role, there were definitely a few that they just were too salesy. You know, like the pieces of content, and I love Josh Brown, who's a who's an SDR trainer, sales trainer. He always uses the term commission breath. You know, like when you're some with somebody on the phone and you have commission breath, which means like, like you're desperate to sell to them, you know, and, and some, some pieces of content definitely have like a commission breath on it. I don't know if you can say that or writing, but do you know what I mean? It's like um, 10 ways to triple your pipeline. Number one, you should do this and this and that. And by the way, here, here is how we can help you. You know, don't do this. 
don't do this. Like, I think anything that has too much of that kind of commission breath kind of thinking behind it and anything, any content that just promises miracles and, you know, as if you are the silver bullet, like that, there is no silver bullet. There is just hard work and figuring it out and learning and improving and there isn't a silver bullet. So if, if anybody ever promises like, oh, if you do this, you're going to get 10 times this out of it. That doesn't exist. Don't even read that content. <laughs> so yeah, we, we definitely had a few of those out there until we realized like, no, it just doesn't stick. So keep adding value and telling people things that that they can get something out of it. They can learn from it. They can action it. That is a great phrase, commission breath. I'm, <laughs> I love I'm it. I'm going to adopt that. I'm going to keep an eye out for that now. Every time someone sell, tries to sell something to yeah. um, do, I, I, do you know, I really love that example, though, because you still see so much of that content, which is literally like 10 steps to work with us. And then it's like, come on now, like, this there's no way like an intelligent person is reading this. It's it? probably because the sales team asks them to do it. Because obviously salespeople, they are there to sell, right? And to be fair, marketers, we are also here to sell. I think we've maybe empathized a little bit more with, with the customer. The earlier you learn that, that I think selling is a consequence of you doing a good job and building trust. You know, sales should never be the main objective for it i always like to say like money is a is a byproduct of your success and you shouldn't just try to be successful just to make money do you know what i mean i think yeah. this is the same with sales like you have to keep doing the right things and adding value to your customers and then the sale will be a consequence of it and that's very much kind of the mindset that we are at and you, you just keep it real right love that yeah it's, it's about building that trust car that is amazing thank you thank so you. much before we say goodbye for this episode, uh, where can people find out more about you and Operatics? So I think LinkedIn is definitely a good one. I'm quite active on LinkedIn. So just try to find me is Katarina Hoch. Operatics is operatics.net. And uh, Memory Blue is memoryblue.com. This is where you guys can find me. I'm always open to having a chat, talking stuff about content, marketing, SDRs anything related to that this was fun guys who would have thought that sausages have something to do with content <laughs> marketing but there seemed to be a link they're intrinsically related now and that is our brand goal at this point is apparently to to make them one and one and all <laughs> so that's all for this week's episode so let's wrap this sausage up let's get it packed and let's get it back onto the shelves so in future shows, we're going to continue to dissect what truly great content looks like and get a number of guest experts to help us on the way. So if you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you or if you have any contributions to Matt's bangers or conversely, the dreaded sausage of death, we'd love to hear those as well. You can do so by messaging our, I was going to say Twitter handle, X handle, XX Twitter handle. It's Rocky underscore IO if you're still using that platform, but probably best to find us on LinkedIn. Uh, or visit our website at rocky.io. Until then, that is all from the Sausage Factory. A big thank you again to Kat for being on the show. Thank you, the listener, for listening. And don't forget to give us your feedback. <laughs>